0: Welcome to the Once Was Lost podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into checking out three different cases of missing young people that are very much in the zeitgeist of missing persons cases. I'm going to be reading from an article, actually, uh, first, since this is so comprehensive and we don't have sponsors to be concerned with at the moment. So we'll do a dive into each of these cases later, totally done separately by the OWL research team. We'll dive into each one of them. For now, we want to remind everyone that we are a tool for the OWL Once Was Lost Missing Persons Application. It's a free app, of course, and it is the single most important app you can have on your phone if you have kids, elderly parents, or a family member with dementia or Alzheimer's and manages to possibly wander off. I live here in Florida, and trust me, that happens quite often. Uh, without anybody seeing them. It literally can be the difference in life or death in this case. Abducted children only have a 6% chance of being found alive if they're not found within that first crucial hour. It's unacceptable, especially knowing that this app is here and free, being put together by Nick Conway after his own child went missing in a store. So he was so affected by this that he created the app for all of you and the friends and family of members you tell about this super yet so simple and important application. We also are getting some support, even though we haven't asked for any on Patreon uh, funds to make sure the app can be maintained properly and be available 24 7. And God forbid the worst does occur. And you need literally tens or hundreds of thousands of people out there with your info on the missing person in question so we can locate them in real time and within that first crucial hour, which we have actually a shot at doing. Unlike an Amber Alert, Amber Alerts are fine, but are restricted usually to only so-called safe cases where a person searching cannot be put in danger's way. A lot of people don't realize that. This means that not all missing children get put on an Amber Alert. Amber Alert system is also over 20 years old, and it has never assisted in locating an actual abducted child. So this app, the Owl Missing Persons app for Apple and Android devices, is so crucial, as well as subscribing to this podcast, hitting the five stars for us so that we will be suggested by Apple, and also downloading and giving this selfless application a five-star rating as well. So both of them work together as tools here. So we also want to officially begin asking for Patreon support because we are growing, and that's a great thing, but it does come with challenges, and we need the help. It's crucial and could be the difference for any one of you in an emergency situation. We only ask that maybe if you can afford Two dollars a month to go to the www.patreon.com forward slash a sonder production and sign up and be a producer of the podcast and the owl application. So that's patreon.com. That's p a t r e o n dot com forward slash and then a sonder production. That's a s o n d e r. P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N. Be a part of the solution that as we grow and you all grow with us, we will absolutely be able to find missing persons within a rapid time frame. If indeed they are within a 40 mile range radius and you have that app ready to go immediately, we also have a three dollar and five dollar tier, tier. If you can afford it, just anything you feel comfortable with. And that two dollars can literally be the reason the Owl app crosses the entire nation, evenly packed with people, just like you, who want to be a part of the solution and to never see any of these horrific events happen to them, friends or family, or just even your neighbor. No one should have to lose their child while the while this Owl app and podcast is available. That's what I'm trying to get across here. So please go ahead and smash the five-star review for us. Please get the app. Subscribe now if you haven't already. So let's get started. So we're dealing with these chilling photographs that are linked to mysterious vanishing, vanishings and bizarre deaths. And this is from an article written by Brent Swansard on June 16th of 2017. And again, we're just using this right now because it's got all three cases blended together. So it's comprehensive and uh, don't mind using it because then we're going to dive into each one of these cases individually at a later date. Oh, I should let you guys know too, we're going to be doing an episode from somebody that I actually know uh, that went to prison for murdering his girlfriend. It was a horrific event and uh, I just want to interview this guy and kind of get into his head and understand what happened here. What, what went wrong, you know, and obviously domestic uh, abuse is a huge issue uh, in this country and we want to find out, you know, how, how do we prevent this from happening? And I think by obviously going directly to the source is the way to do that. We do have a missing person that's on the OWL application right now. We're going to be speaking with the family this upcoming week because it's, it's from uh, an event about 10 years ago, I believe, is actually when the person went missing. They are an adult. So that's why it's a little bit different than, than being a child. And it was uploaded much, much later. But the family does want to know where this person is just to at least know that they're okay. And we're going to help them. We're going to do everything that we possibly can to help them locate uh, this missing family member. Okay, so in the world of vanished people, there's often no concrete evidence to go on. Our minds are forced to imagine their last moments, their fates projected upon the screens of our imaginations, with every individual perhaps picturing it differently. However, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, and in some mysterious disappearances, there is a bizarre photographic evidence left behind hinting at the fate of these people who have stepped off the face of the earth. These are peaks into the macabre last-minute images of the vanished, a look through the window of the unexplained into a place where we have a chance to glimpse the answer to these riddles, forever preserved in photographic form, time frozen for these lost souls who still wander out past the periphery of our understanding. These are cryptic clues etched onto film, immortalized, perhaps forever beckoning and taunting us from the fringes of mystery. So one well-known and spectacularly creepy such case is that of the vanishings of nine-year-old Michael Henley and 19-year-old Tara Calico, who had no relation and did not know each other, but whose separate baffling disappearances would nevertheless converge in a rather spooky and bizarre manner. The first advantage was Henley when he disappeared on April 21st of 1988 during a family camping trip to the Oso Ridge area of the Zuni Mountains in New Mexico in the United States. He would never be seen alive again, and no trace was found of him at the time despite massive, intensive searches confounded by a major storm that hampered efforts at the time. That same year at 9.30 a.m., On September 20th, 1988, teenager Tara Calico left her home to go on a bike ride along Highway 47 near her home in Billan, New Mexico. Although she was in good spirits when she left and showed no signs of anything amiss, she told her mother, Patty Dole, to come looking for her if she did not return by noon. This would prove to be a rather spookily prophetic thing to say in retrospect. Indeed, she did not return by noon. And when her mother went to drive around and see if she was just late, Tara was nowhere to be found. And the mother was alarmed to find the cassette tape Tara had been listening to lying on the ground lost alongside the highway. And I do know that the tape she had been listening to was Boston. I remember that specifically. I believe it was their first album, which is, which was a huge success. Don't ask me why I remember that, but I do, um, and everybody back then had uh, Walkmans, so it's kind of like your iPod today. But you had a Walkman back then. You know, your older listeners will know what I'm talking about. And you, it was basically a cassette player, but it was very small and you could carry it around with you. So Tara Calico, authorities were soon notified, and the last time anyone could remember seeing her was around 11:45 a.m., riding along the highway, listening to her Walkman. Some witnesses claimed that. They had seen a light-colored 1953 Ford pickup with a camper shell driving behind her, but it was rather unclear if this had anything to do with this disappearance, whether they were just friends of hers or were simply just some people harmlessly passing by, and no one actually saw her have an altercation with or get abducted by anyone after a thorough search of the area, the only sign of terror that would turn up was that fragmented pieces of that broken Walkman found at a nearby camping area, and Tara Calico seemed to have completely vanished in the thin air. At the time, it was not immediately thought that she had been kidnapped or met with any foul play, and it was suspected that she may have just ran away. Yet, according to her family. She had never shown any desire to do any such thing and had no reason to escape her life. However, the grim possibility that she had been taken by somebody was certainly there overhanging everything. And the broken Walkman was a potential clue for this. Exactly. Why would you find it broken in this uh, camping area and obviously not find her anywhere near there? Despite looking into every lead and scant piece of evidence they could find, authorities were not able to track Tara down and the case went ice cold. That is, until a rather chilling discovery was made in June of 1989. On June 15th, 1989, a woman in Port St. Joe, Florida, about 1,600 miles from New Mexico, found a rather sinister Polaroid photograph lying discarded in a grocery store parking lot off Route 98. The disturbing photograph showed a young woman and a a boy on bedsheets in what seems to be perhaps the back of a van or another large vehicle with their hands apparently bound and duct taped over their mouths as they stare blankly at the camera, their eyes giving nothing away. I've seen the picture, and I see terror in their eyes, to be honest. Besides the woman, can be seen a copy of the novel My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. V.C. Andrews was extremely popular back then, especially with females. She wrote a book called Flowers in the Attic, and I'm not sure if My Sweet Audrina is part of that series. More than likely it is, but maybe some of you guys can, can let me know that. But it was found to have been Tara's favorite author. Although their faces are rather obscured by the tape, the woman bore a striking resemblance to the missing Tara Calico. And when Tara's mother saw it, she became certain that it was her daughter, especially considering that there was some discoloration seen on the woman's leg that matched up with a scar on Tara's own leg. That, plus the presence of the book, strongly suggested that this was a picture of the missing woman and that she was in deep trouble. I know that people bring up that the author was so intensely popular at that time that it really wouldn't make a difference, but you, you put this scar on her leg, which is a uh, uh, kind of a darkish area and you take into account uh, the book that she's reading and you look at her face um, compared to pictures of her. And to me, this this looks like Tara. So that mysterious Terra Calico photio, photo, even weirder and creepier still, the boy in the picture was strongly believed to be the missing Michael Henley. Witnesses told authorities that a white cargo van had been parked in that spot where the Polaroid was found, but extensive searches and roadblocks could not locate the vehicle in order to question the driver, who was described as being a white male in his 30s with a mustache. It is unknown where the van went or if it had any connection at all to the photograph. Although some have speculated that the picture would have actually even been taken in that van, we'll probably never know. But the macabre case captured the imagination of the public and as authorities poured over the photograph and any clues or leads they could find within it. The case was featured widely in the media and on various TV shows such as Of course, America's Most Wanted, and The Current Affair, which generated a massive amount of tips, but none of them led anywhere. In the meantime, speculation swarmed around the case, many strongly believing that the woman in that photograph to be indeed the missing Tara, suggesting that she had been abducted, although the perpetrator and their motives remained to be an enigma. Yet it was not known for sure, nor it was known whether she was even alive or not at the time, when Sheriff René Rivera from Valencia County, New Mexico, expressed the assertion that not only was Tara most likely abducted and likely murdered, but that it had been carried out by a local group of people who knew her and subsequently covered up, saying, the individuals who did the harm to Tara know who she was, they know she was and they're all local individuals and I believe that the parents of the attackers in quotes were some of the people that helped the individuals with hiding the truth or hiding the body or trying to escape persecution you know it's very frustrating being that there's a lot of people that know what happened they know the whereabouts of the body or the remains I believe the body is nearby close quote there is also the observation that it might not have even been her at all And this assertion was bolstered when it was found that the boy in the Polaroid could not have possibly been Michael Henley because his body would eventually be found in 1990 near the campsite where he had originally disappeared. Michael's parents had previously been sure that this was their son in the photo, but an autopsy would show that he had died of exposure in the outdoors and it showed no signs of being abducted leading the investigators to consider it highly unlikely that he could have possibly been that boy in the mysterious photo. Nevertheless, Tara's mother and many investigators, including detectives from the Scotland Yard Police Department in the United Kingdom, were convinced without a doubt that it was her in that picture. And Think about that. This is Scotland Yard over in, uh, in England they were even involved on this case. That's how big these cases were at the time. So they were convinced that it was her in the picture, although it's still disputed to this day and unknown. Another theory was that the whole thing was even a sick prank and that Tara was perhaps even in on it. But why would she do such a thing? And if it was just a practical joke, then where did she go? Although the picture looks very authentic and besides the striking physical similarities, it does look like the two are under severe duress. And I agree. Whoever the people in the photo are, they look legitimately scared for their lives. And one Gulf County sheriff by the name of Joel Nugget would say of this that it obviously is two kids with terror written all over them. It's kind of a bad time when you have to look at it, you know, and something To that magnitude, no one knows for sure if it, the picture of course, was a setup. Some people think it was a stage photograph, but it was a real look of fear to me. Look, guys, there's no way this was a setup photograph. And obviously these pictures will be in the show notes, so you guys can check it out. So also muddying the waters are some leads that later came in suggesting that Tara had been perhaps hit by a car, either intentionally or accidentally, after which the startled occupants of the vehicle had disposed of her body, and this would mean that it could, couldn't have been her in that Polaroid. But in the end, you know, no one really knows. Tara's body has never been found, and she has never been seen again. It is not known what happened to her, or even if it was really her in that photograph, and the case has left authorities baffled ever since. Eerily among the many questions surrounding the case is, who are the people in the photo really? Is that really Tara? And if it is, what was happening to her and what became of her? Also, if that boy is not Michael Henley, then who is it? No one knows. And to this day, the case remains profoundly a mystery. But that's the whole point. If they haven't been found, they look like these children. I know that the Michael Henley was found, but. I truly believe when you look at the picture, you're going to see this was not staged, that this is real, and also it is very likely terra Calico. So another eerie case that is similar in some respects is that of 12-year-old Johnny Gosh. Most of you probably have heard of this case, and if you hadn't, trust me, uh, you would find this case being covered by quite a few podcasts, I'm sure, at one time or another. To me, it's probably one of the most famous missing persons cases as far as children are concerned. So this is of 12-year-old Johnny Gosh of West Des Moines, Iowa in the United States. At around dawn on September 5th, 1982, Johnny went out on his paperboy route. And later on that morning, his parents began to get persistent phone calls from adult people who were upset over the fact that they had still not gotten their morning papers. I actually had a paper out at that exact same time as Johnny. So I kind of can wrap my head around the feeling of what was going on and him on this route and what it was like to get up that early in the morning and get your papers together and, you know, to bag them all up and get them ready for for delivery. Anyways, his mother Noreen and father John spoke to other paper carriers in the area and were told that Johnny had been in the day to pick up his newspapers as scheduled which then prompted them to search the area to find Johnny's abandoned newspaper wagon nearby, still full of undelivered papers. Authorities were contacted that they were able to glean from witnesses that Johnny had been approached by a Ford truck with out-of-state plates whose driver had asked him for directions, and there was also a report that suggested that Johnny might have been followed by a separate unidentified man And it was assumed that the boy had been possibly kidnapped, but no suspects were found at that time. The truck that had allegedly approached him could not be located. No motive was ascertained and there was no evidence of what had happened to him. The only possible lead was a sighting of a boy matching his description in Oklahoma being dragged away by two men, but it was not clear if this was really him or not. For the most part, the case was totally cold. Private investigators hired by the distraught parents were also not able to figure out what had happened to him. He was just gone. The whole case would become more bizarre when Johnny's mother came forth with some very strange incidents that had happened in the following years. According to her, in 1997, Noreen claims that she was visited by a young man who she believed to be her now grown lost son. He apparently told her that he had escaped his captors, but they were still out there looking for him, that he could not stay very long before making her promise to keep quiet about it and then vanishing yet again. During the whole bizarre meeting, there had apparently been another unidentified man with him waiting outside in the shadows. There was no doubt as to whether this really happened or not, but Noreen has remained adamant that it did. Should have said that you know there was there was some thought that or doubt that this had really happened. But I have why would the mother make this up? And the story is uh, filled with details, and we're, we will cover that. Trust me, this is uh, probably will be the first one that we'll cover is Johnny Gosh here at a later date because there's a lot more to this story, and especially in this individual, and it brings me back to if you've heard on Pull Up A Pew Podcast, which is the other podcast that we have under A. Sondre Productions, Productions. Um, the facility that I had attended and actually escaped from, its, it's very, it sounds very similar to what had happened to Johnny and then him being allowed to come and, you know, to see his mother but then be taken away. Maybe they probably had a very short amount of time to do that, but because he was an adult by that time, so we're talking at least uh, 10, 15 years later, after the fact, he would be let loose in order to, uh, you know, just see his own mother. But I'm sure there was plenty of people that did not want that to happen. So whoever that person was lurking out in the shadows, you know, I'm sure he was taking the risk of course, as well. So that photo, Of three bound boys that you're going to see in the show notes, Johnny Gosh is thought to be the one on the far right. The photos would prove to be somewhat controversial. One anonymous letter sent in said that the photo of the three bound boys originated in the 1970s and merely showed a prank in which they were trying to see who could escape their binds fastest. Again, when you look at the photo, I doubt highly that's what's going on there. That's either somebody just pulling a prank on the phone call, or just throwing in an excuse so that it would throw people off, you know, from from looking for these boys. But I, I don't know. There turned out to have actually really been such a photo, and the case investigated by police in the late seventies. But there has never been any proof of whether this was the same photo or not. The individuals in the other two photos have also never been concretely identified. While there has been some doubt on cast whether or not these mysterious photos shown Johnny Gosh in them, his mother is convinced that the first two show her son and that they are also from an organized pedophilia ring. So whatever the case may be, the photos of help make the disappearance of Johnny Gosh much. Debated and discussed. The missing boy has never been found. Of course, the identities of the people in the photos have never conclusively been identified. And although various leads and information have come forward over the years, this strange case remains shrouded in mystery. One extremely unsettling and spooky case revolves around the notorious American cel- serial killer, Dean Arnold Coral, who in the early 1970s raped tortured, and strangled to death at least 28 young boys in the Houston, Texas area, aided by his two accomplices, David Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley Jr., ominously nicknamed by the media the Candyman because of his family business as a candy maker, which he used to lure in his young victims. Coral is also known as one of the most monstrous and prolific serial killers of the century and would have likely racked up even more victims if he had not been shot to death by his own accomplice, Elmer Wayne Henley Jr., after an altercation. Although there were 28 official Candyman victims, it has always been suspected that there were many more, and in 2012, these suspicions were fueled even further by the distressing discovery of another shocking photo found in a cast-off box of Henley's personal possessions, that had been stored away and forgotten in an abandoned old bus in a field after his arrest. It was found by filmmaker John Vargas as he did research for a dramatization of the gruesome events. Vargas would say, we are the first people to go through that stuff in 40 years. And among the items contained within was a blurred, chilling Polaroid snapshot of a young, terrified-looking boy... Obviously, in captivity, and Vargas would say the following of the find. While rummaging through those pictures, this Polaroid falls out, and I look at it. And right off the bat, having studied the case and the crime scene photos and everything, I see Dean's toolbox and I see his implements in that toolbox. And I see this kid right here with handcuffs on his arms. I sat there and I looked at the picture for about 30 minutes. And then I showed it to my wife and said, look at this and tell me what you think it is. That was a boy who was horrified who was lying on that floor. So you have the mysterious Candyman killer photo, which is what we're talking about here. The truly eerie thing about this picture is that no one seems to know who it is. No one has come forward with information and it is not of any of the official 28 victims of the Candyman. Considering that Coral has... No known victims who managed to escape his clutches. It's very likely that this is not only a picture of one of them, but also that he was likely gruesomely tortured, killed, and worse, just moments after this photo was taken. When Vargas confronted Henley in prison, who was doing a life sentence, of course, about the photograph, the inmate claimed that he did not know, but divulged that there were certainly other victims in the killing spree that have yet to be uncovered, As to who the boy in the photo could be, one forensic anthropologist who took a look at it has said, I compared the photograph with the missing person information, such as descriptions and photographs that are relevant to the 1973 murder cases and are available in the HCIFS files. I have also compared the photograph to photographs of previously identified victims that are available in the HCIFS files. The relatively poor image quality does not allow for a conclusive comparison of features to know, that are known or unknown individuals associated with the 1973 murder cases. However, the individual depicted is not immediately recognizable as one of the known victims or missing persons in the photographs or descriptions in the HCIFS files. Any information regarding the individual shown In the photograph may aid HCIFS or law enforcement in identification efforts or the investigation. Other mysterious photographs linked to vanishings were taken by the victims themselves shortly before they disappeared and potentially hold clues to their deep mysteries. In March of 2014, two young Dutch women by the names of Lisanne Froon and Chris Kremers we in the country of Panama for a homestay study trip to learn Spanish, looking for a day out, enjoying the beauty of the countryside. And on April 1st of 2014, Lassane and Chris sent out on a day hike on the pristine Piñasta Trail, which is located near the town of Boquette and the Baru Volcano. Hope I didn't butcher that. <laughs> I probably did. Along with their lost family, host family's dog, It was planned to be a very short routine excursion and to take some scenery in the clouds around the forest area, perhaps do some swimming and then come back and go to their studies. And they had only brought with them the barest essentials such as swimsuits, sunglasses, cameras, you know, just just basic touristy items. They weren't, you know, going out for a day hike or a couple of days to bring anything such as food or or water. Yet they would walk out onto that trail into the jungle and seemingly off the face of the earth, never to be seen again. The night only the dog returned without either Lassane or Chris and the worried host family became concerned. It was soon turned out that uh, both women's families shortly after stopped receiving regular mobile phone messages and communications from their daughters and their Facebook updates had also abruptly stopped. So when the and Chris missed an appointment that next day, they were declared missing and the Panamanian authorities organized an intensive search. And I have to say it's very quick, you know, for a foreign government. But of course, you've got issues with tourism in these different areas, different countries. And, you know, they don't want things to look bad for any American tourists, uh, especially I would say in, in Panama. So anyways, they uh, organized an intensive search which scoured the terrain using police, aircraft, soldiers, scent dogs, and signal flares to alert the women to their presence in any case they were lost, all with the help of locals and native tribes of the area. While in the meantime, a $30,000 reward was offered by the families for any information. After 10 days of meticulously searching the region, no signs of the two missing women were found, and they seemed to have simply just disappeared again into thin air like everybody else here. The only clues as to what may have become of them came from the witnesses who claimed to have seen the two women having lunch with two unidentified men before embarking on their hike. But it was totally unknown who they were or what connections they had to the disappearances. If any, Lassane Froon and Chris Kremer's, you know, It would take nearly 10 weeks later that a clue would even finally come in the form of a backpack brought to police by a woman claiming she had found it abandoned beside a river near the village of Alto Romero. The backpack was soon determined to be that of the missing Lisanne Froon, and a treasure trove of new clues was found within. Among the various mundane belongings found within the bag, such as the sunglasses, cash, and a passport, were also both of the missing woman's smartphones and Leanne's camera, all found to be dry and in remarkably good condition. These phones and camera would go on to provide several rather dark hints as to what happened and propel the case further into the realm of mystery. When the phone's call histories were checked, it was found that on the very day they had set out on their hike at around 4.30 p.m., they had tried to make a call to emergency services, but the call had not gone through. Over the next few days, it seems that they had then repeatedly tried to dial various emergency numbers in both Panama and the Netherlands, none of which had gone through, of course, and all of them interspersed by the phones frequently being powered on and off, possibly to conserve the batteries. The ants phone finally had died on April 5th, and although Chris's phone had continued to function, it was not used to make any further actual calls. Simply being turned on and off again, perhaps in an attempt to find reception before wasting power on another futile call. Oddly, on April 6th, though, there had been several attempts to enter a PIN number that had failed. By April 11th, both phones were dead after dozens of calls. So perhaps even spookier and more unnerving here than these call records was that found of what was found on the camera itself, guys. It was found to have taken some initial pictures of the women along their hike and at a waterfall, which were taken before the emergency calls. But then the camera was not used again until April 8th, which was well after the frantic calls had started and a week after they had been declared missing. So at that point, there was a sudden series of around 90 photographs, all of them taken at night. And these would prove to even be more bizarre. Many of them don't show anything merely blackness as if the lens covered not been taken off while others showed blurry nondescript scenes of the nighttime jungle suggesting that the camera flash was being used to provide light. And that's what I think that that was, but there's also some photographs mixed in and among these that make sense. One of the camera flash photographs, however, uh, out of the three photos, what stands out from the rest, peppered among the others, one is is very puzzling. Uh, it's a very puzzling shot of what looks like toilet paper and a mirror on a rock. Its meaning is unknown. And in another, a stick, which upon its branches are tied a piece of red plastic, possibly candy bar wrappers. It is speculated this could have been an attempt at a crude signal, but no one really knows. The third is probably the weirdest and shows an extreme close-up of Chris Frommer's hair. The meaning of these strange photos is unclear, but they were and still are seen as holding ominous hints as to what happened to the missing pair. With the finding of the backpack and its enigmatic contents, a renewed search effort was launched into the area where it had been found. And during that search, a pair of torn yet neatly folded jeans was found politely perched upon a rock. But more grisly and sinister discoveries awaited the searchers as they began to find bits of human remains scattered about the jungle along the riverbank. Mostly bones from the foot, and most notable of these was a boot with the remains of a whole human foot ensconced within, as well as a pelvic bone found behind a tree nearby it. Oddly, it was found that while some of these bones appeared to be rather fresh, others were bleached, Considering the state of the remains, it was impossible to determine the cause of death for either Lassane or Chris. Because, yeah, if, if some of them are looking fresh, but yet others are bleached, it takes quite a bit of time in order to bleach bones that way in a natural setting, you know, with the uh, sun beating down on it or, or the, just the weather, weathering the bones themselves. So that stick with the red plastic on it. So, The remains, plus that strange, uh, you know, the rest of the phone calls and photographs started up heavy speculation on what had happened to them. One idea was that the pair had gotten lost and then proceeded to use the camera to try and signal the search party, possibly after being injured and unable to move. The stick with the plastic could have been a makeshift Uh, way to get the attention of planes uh, flying overhead though. It's, it's just, it's so small, but then again, if that's all you have and you got to remember, they really didn't take anything with them when they went on this trip and let that be a lesson. You know, they left pretty late in the afternoon on a pretty, you know, decent length trail and they brought nothing along with them in case you were to get lost. You would need to minimally have some water with you and some food, maybe a compass, some way to get people's attention if you were to get lost. Other than your cell phone, I know everybody's got phones, and you think, well, if I got my phone, phones fail, plus phones can only do so much, especially if you're not going to get a signal with them. So anyways, after this, um, they may have died out there in the wilderness, and the scavengers could have done the rest, scattering the remains. However, if they were trying to signal ground search parties, then why not just call out to them? Also, why is it that none of the local tribes had come across them? And how had they been, remained so well hidden from the massive search that had been through that area? Another more disturbing theory is that there were stalked, and killed by some sort of large predator. The girls had been stalked and and, uh, killed by a predator, and that the camera flash pictures could have been an attempt to unsuccessfully drive it away as it closed in on them. Maybe a panther or something of that nature is what I'm thinking of there. Although what predator is, is is obviously unknown, there is also the possibility that they could have met with foul play, perhaps at the hands of the two young men they had been seen with, but there's no real evidence of this at all. What happened to Lassane, Froon and Chris Kremers? Well, what is the meaning behind their remains, the bizarre phone records and those haunting pictures? You know, what do they all mean? Did these young women fall victim to the terrain, predators, either animal or human, or did they simply get hopelessly lost? These are the questions that have yet to be answered. At least one of these cases, of vanishings, a photo taken by the victim may have even captured an image of the one behind it all, on February 27th of 2015, 18-year-old Mok Pawa went out hiking up in the Haiku Stairs on the island of Oahu, Hawaii, also called the Stairway to Heaven. The Haiku Stairs are a series of 3,922 perilously steep steps leading to a radio tower perched within the Kaula mountain range and were built by the u.s navy in 1942 i probably butchered that too (laughs) the stairs were closed in 1987 and they are technically off limits to casual hikers but many ignore this and go up them anyways for the thrill of danger and the stunning yet beautiful scenery to be found at the top pua was one of these but he probably did not suspect that this would be his last hike before vanishing off the face of the earth Pua was last seen in the Wanane, Oahu at a bus headed for the stairs, but it is not known that whether he reached his destination, as he regularly posted pictures in his progress on social media, and one picture was of the stairways themselves, so he must have made it to the location, which was posted at 11 a.m. After this, the post suddenly stops, and Pua was never heard from again. A land and air search, including the fire department, local volunteers, drone operators, and the U.S. Navy failed to find any sign of him, although they did hear from two witnesses who claimed to have heard a man shout for help on the day he went missing. At first, it was mostly suspected that he had slipped and fallen over one of the many harrowing cliffs of the area and then swept out the sea, but a sinister finding would be noticed when his last photo was carefully looked at. This one is really creepy too, guys. The photo in question seems at first glance to be merely a scenic shot of some mountainside forest, but sharp-eyed observers pointed out that something quite ominous could be seen lurking near a tree in the background. Closer inspection shows what appears to be a man crouched down in the foliage as if in hiding. Considering that this was one of the last photos Pua took, it is suspected that this man could be someone who was following Pua and potentially abducted or killed him. Dyleen Moke Pua has still not been found, and the person in the photograph has not been identified. You've got to see that photo. I'm telling you, it's very creepy. It's going to be in the show notes, so don't worry. What happened to him? Who is the mysterious man in the photograph, and does he have anything to do with his disappearance? We don't know. So we're going to give you a breakdown of the photos, and you got to look clearly. I'm going to show. There's going to be a series of photos, but though each one of them will get closer in, and you'll be able to see what's there. And I'm telling you, it's it's creepy, very creepy. It's a, a suspicious person up to no good, maybe. It's a it's a person hiding in the bushes in the middle of nowhere, basically. I mean, what what are they doing there? So another case concerns a photo of possible cause for a vanishing, who may be of a more paranormal nature in the early 20th century. A folklorist named Charlene. Charlie Noonan supposedly spent years traveling about collecting and compiling the lore, myths, and supernatural tales of communities throughout the South and Southwestern United States. One story came across in Oklahoma was that of a mysterious old hermit woman who was said to live in a dilapidated old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. It was said that the old lady was a specter, or a demon, or a wraith of some sort, and that a large hound was never far away from her, padding alongside her wherever she went. Noonan was purportedly intrigued by this story, and so he went to go look for the house and its strange denizen, after which he vanished without a trace. Eventually, Noonan's wife, Ellie Noonan, came into possession of Charlie's missing camera, and after a pawnbroker recognized the name engraved on the side as the missing man, he returned it. And according to the story, only one picture had been taken on the entire roll on this camera, and it shows a chilling image of some sort of shadowy-looking old lady figure with a spectral large dog, just as in the legend. So as intriguing as the story is, there is little evidence to corroborate the tale. It is unknown where the picture actually came from, and much has been written on the case of Charlie Noonan. It seems to be the basic story regurgitated over and over again when you do hear it making me think that it's perhaps just a spooky urban legend but nevertheless considering the bizarre image and the possibility that the story is true um, the author felt that it was important to include it here so that photo the Charlie Noonan photo what what do any of these photos mean are these snapshots that provide a glimpse into the last moments of the vanished do they shed any light on these dark cases As much as many of these cases remain debated and picked apart, no matter what theories come up or what new information trickles in, there is this unchanging constant. Those mysterious photographs, they beckon, they taunt, they weave a web of questions around the case, brief captures of light from another time when these people were among us. They have made these cases immortal in a sense and have served to fuel the mysterious vanishings and deaths they represent What clues or answers may lie within them? Only time will tell, but none have been forthcoming so far. And so that ends it, but that's going to apply really to the first three cases where you've got uh, um, Johnny Gosh and you've got Calico. Those are the ones that we're going to feature the most here. This very last one I just included because it was just interesting, was part of the story of having an unknown photograph of the spectral Woman and the dog. There's not a lot of information concerning that, and it's also an incredibly old uh, story. So there's really nothing that can be done to uh, you know try to figure out what that was or, or what it wasn't. But when you do look at the Johnny Gosh uh, photo, again, it reminds me of the pull up a pew episodes that I did concerning the Bethel Baptist Boys Home and many children. I mean, they just did. A massive raid in georgia on september 1st No, do know the exact date you're going to be listening to this but on september 1st first they found hundreds of children they literally found them and they were all uh at part of a you know sexual uh trafficking ring and that happens all over the nation all all the time you just don't hear about it now this is one of the bigger ones all happening at the same time but there are literally hundreds of these groups that have hundreds of children that are anywhere, you know, from say five to 17 or 18. They even, you know, take them as, as much older as, as teenagers. It just depends on, on the, the pedophiles. It's, it's sick, but you know, there's been a lot going on in the last two years or three years. We're not getting out of the mainstream news. A lot of these organizations are being taken around are taken down from around the world. Uh, these sexual trafficking rings, and um, yeah, it's 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 coming along. It's uh, let's just say that there's still a lot more that needs to be done. That's why we need you to subscribe to the Owl Podcast. Make sure that you're always informed of what's going on. And if we have a live missing person, if you're in that area, you will be able to search. You can look. You can help tr- find. This person hopefully within the first hour of them being uploaded onto the OWL app. So we also obviously want you to download that. And that should be done first is downloading the phone app for iOS or Android and just set it and forget it. But God forbid something happens uh, to yourself, your family members, or um, you know, any just anybody that you know, even with friends that have elderly parents, maybe with Alzheimer's or You know that they also tend to go missing from these homes. It just all depends on how good of a home that they're in. Some some of these homes are just horribly run, and uh, they don't really keep count or watch over people. And people tend to wander off, and it happens a lot more often than than you would think. So please make sure and hit the five star button for us for Apple, which is the most important. So it does help with the algorithms and for apple to start to suggest the podcast and it is starting to actually do that i saw it the other day it was starting to suggest the owl once was lost podcast so that was phenomenal to see we've started with a few people on patreon already we didn't even ask so we are asking though now and if you've noticed we haven't even brought up the the issue but you know this this app was built by um By Nick Conway using his own funds. And, you know, there's, there's, it's free. There's, there's no sponsors. There's no advertisements on it. Nobody's making any money from that. So we want it to grow even further. That's the whole point. You know, if you look at the map on the application itself, you can constantly see almost every day new people joining. I want it to be, though, where you look at that map of the United States, you can't even see it because there's so many people on there. And that shows, That will show that everything is evenly distributed across the US. There's going to be tons of people within major metropolitan areas or even out in rural areas that are able to keep an eye out, keep an ear out when somebody does go missing. And we can find people that way. It's just the law of large numbers. That's all this is. So, again, but you've got to rate it. You really do. It's super, super important. If you've just listened to this, if you like what you hear, and I know this isn't, wasn't a specific dive into any one of these cases. And it's just a reading from a case. That's really how we wanted to start it because it's just got the most amount of information packed in um, that we can get out on an episode. And then we're going to research each one of these uh, on their own, along with the uh, prison episode that I mentioned that we're going to be doing. And we also have a missing person off of the OWL app. And we're going to be helping that family out to the best of our ability And that interview, uh, I'm sure, will come out here in uh, the next week, just after the holiday uh, on Monday. So everybody do have a great holiday weekend. Please subscribe to the Owl Once Was Lost podcast. You can get it on iOS or any Android device, anywhere at all that you get your podcast. And please make sure and hit the five stars. I know I keep saying that over and over, but you guys just got to understand how important it is. Download that app, make that first. If you got kids, even if you got friends that just have kids, every single person is the within the perfect demographic for this. Let's just put it that way. It doesn't matter who you are, you're going to know somebody that needs this, or at some point during your life, gonna know somebody probably that goes missing in one fashion or another, just because it's so prevalent. Every 40 seconds, every 40 seconds, a child goes missing. That's the truth, and that's unacceptable. All right, guys, that's it. This is uh, Drew, and we'll talk to you next time. Guys, have a great holiday weekend.